The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode are that of the guest and host and do not necessarily reflect the values of sponsors or other associated organizations. Welcome to the Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I'm your host, Bobby Williams. Please subscribe to the show. It means a lot to us. COVID and the COVID vaccine have been around a while now. So I thought it would be good for us to get an update from a really informed perspective. Well, I found about the best person I could possibly find, Paul Offit. Paul is the author of several books. He's been on Colbert, and now his biggest appearance yet, the show with me. Paul also helped to develop the rotavirus vaccine. This vaccine is credited with saving millions of lives across the world. Pretty incredible. It was a very informative conversation. I think you're gonna get a lot from this. He does bring up an interesting point though, that the there's like four companies that are making all the vaccines in this country. So it's, it's big, big business. Not so big anymore. I mean, it, 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 there were, in the mid 1950s, there were 27 companies that made vaccines for American children. By the early 1980s, there were 18 companies that made vaccine for the, the American children. By the end of the 1980s, it was about four companies. So, um, you know, the vaccines are something you use once or a few times in your lifetime. They're not products that you use every day, like lipid lowering drugs or uh, or hair loss products or diabetes drugs or neurological drugs. These are not big money makers. That's why the companies largely have abandoned them. And the companies that do make them, for the most part, it's less than 10% of what they do. So I, I don't see this as a big money maker because it's not something you use every day. Well, so you actually created a vaccine or were on the team. What were you treating? What was that all about? Right, so, so the virus that we prevented was a virus called rotavirus. ROTA. It's a, it's a virus that causes fever, vomiting, diarrhea in infants and young children, but primarily children less than two years of age. And it's a cause of um, hospitalization from dehydration. So typically you'd see before that vaccine, about 75,000 children every year would be hospitalized. About 60 would die in this country. In the world, the virus killed about 500,000 children every year, about as many as 2,000 a day. So it's a big killer in the world. Our vaccine um, was created over a period of about 26 years, and then it was licensed and recommended for all children in this country, U.S., um, in 2006, and for all children in the world by the World Health Organization in 2013. When you think about your contribution to this world or, you know, what you put out there into the world, you've really saved millions of lives then. Who can say that? Well, you know, it's always, first of all, you're part of a team. Secondly, um, as, as Isaac Newton said, you see farther because you stand on the shoulder of giants. I mean, the rotavirus uh, research effort, which was an international effort, involved hundreds of researchers throughout the world, and we all contributed to some level to that. Um, so, But I was certainly um, really uh, lucky to be, be with people like Dr. Stanley Plotkin and Dr. Fred Clark at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, who were part of that team that created this vaccine. So can you explain to me just in a layperson's way 
how vaccines are made. Is it like someone just sneezes on a piece of plexiglass and you like take some of that and grow it or like what? Yeah, is that's it? not it, actually. But yeah, but go ahead. <laughs> What's the simple explanation here? Well, so they're, they're, they're made in a variety of ways. So if you're going to say try and prevent a viral infection, then SARS-CoV-2 is a viral infection. Uh, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. You can take the, the virus itself uh, and grow it up in the laboratory and then completely inactivate it with a chemical typically. That's the way the polio vaccine is made. That's the way the hepatitis A virus vaccine is made. You can take a virus and weaken it in the laboratory so that it can reproduce itself in a person, but not well enough to induce an immune response, but not well enough to induce disease. So that's the way the measles vaccine is made, the mumps vaccine, the German measles vaccine, the chickenpox vaccine are all made that way. Or you can take just part of the virus, take just one of the proteins from the virus and then inoculate the, the person with that one protein. That's the way the hepatitis B vaccine is made. That's the way the uh, human papillomavirus vaccine is made. That's the way the Novavax vaccine uh, is made for to prevent SARS-CoV-2. Um, and then you can do what's done for the, uh, the Pfizer Moderna vaccines, which is the so-called mRNA vaccines, which is you give the gene that codes for one of the proteins of the virus, and then your body makes that protein, and then you make an immune response to the protein. So that's, there's a lot of different ways to make a viral vaccine. And is this all just trial and error? Or like, what are you doing during the day to figure out this vaccine? Yes, it's trial and error. You, usually the way it works is you do preclinical studies in experimental animals to, to make sure that it works well in experimental animals. Um, and then you do, um, you move into clinical trials. The phase one trials is you try and get the right dose, the right dosing intervals, the right number of doses. Um, and then once you think you have that, then you move to phase two trials, which usually involve hundreds of uh, people to, to make sure that you consistently get an immune response that you think is going to be protective and to make sure that at least you don't have a common serious side effect problem. And then you move to phase three trials, which usually involve tens of thousands of people that either get the vaccine or don't get the vaccine. And then you can see whether or not your vaccine is efficacious and you can see whether there's a more uncommon serious side effect problem. And then you release it. What do you say to people that are like, well, this vaccine, you know, like the COVID vaccine, this vaccine is new, so I don't trust it because it hasn't, we don't know the long-term effect of this. Well, it's been out since uh, December 2020. Uh, so it's it's been out for more than a year and a half. Um, it's been in billions of people. So, and, and it's, I think would argue this is probably one of the most studied vaccines in history. Uh, we have a lot of information on this vaccine. I don't think there's going to be many surprises at this point. So, and you know, certainly that the vaccine can save your life. Uh, if you look even today at say, who's getting hospitalized in New York City associated with the most recent outbreak of BA5, the answer is always the same, unvaccinated people. I don't, I don't, I cannot, still cannot fathom why it is people choose not to get this vaccine. It's obviously works. It obviously is safe. It's not absolutely safe. Nothing is absolutely safe. So the mRNA vaccines are rare causes of something called myocarditis, which just means transient, short-lived inflammation of the heart muscle. Um, but, you know, other than that, the, the, the you know, and, and know that COVID, the, the disease that's caused by SARS-CoV-2, also causes that much more commonly and much more severely. So... The goal is to, I think, to always take the lesser risk. There are no risk-free choices. A choice not to get a vaccine is not a risk-free choice. It's a choice to take a more serious risk. And it just amazes me that people continue to take that risk. 
That's an interesting point that not getting a vaccine is a choice too. Because what I've heard from parents is if I get COVID, then, you know, I'm out there in the world and I get COVID. But if I give myself a vaccine and that hurts me, I can't live with that because I was the one that hurt myself. What percent of people get this heart issue? Uh, that, that get the vaccine or they get to have the disease? Um, I guess let's hear both. Okay, so for the vaccine, it's a, it depends on your age, but it's about, because it's generally a young male phenomenon that's as common as one in 20,000. One person per 20,000. Um, if you get, if you have the disease, it's, it's as common as one in 45. Wow, okay. So there's this feeling with COVID right now that it's just becoming a cold. This is the endemic and so if it's become so weak, why get vaccinated if it's probably just like a cold? It's not just like a cold. I mean, it, it's what's happened over the past, say, you know, now two and a half years this virus has been out there, is a much larger percentage of the population has been vaccinated or naturally infected. So you already have about 90% population immunity. So people, when they're getting infected with these viruses now, are more likely to have a mild illness. President Biden being an example of that right now. He's had four doses of vaccine. He has really the mildest of, of illnesses. So people will think, well, see, just causes the common cold. But <laughs> he's been vaccinated. And even if he weren't vaccinated, the odds are he'd, he'd been naturally infected, and which also protects against severe disease. But, um, you know, it's it's if you look when these if you look at people who've neither been naturally infected or vaccinated, these virus, there is not a, a, uh, a either a, a variant or a subvariant like these BA4, BA5 subvariants that are, are are strictly mild. And and what makes sense is if you look, there are four strains of circulating human coronaviruses. Um, the first two were identified actually in the early 1960s, but really came into the U.S. Po or into the human population in the late 1700s and the late 1800s. So these viruses have been around with us for centuries, and those four strains of human coronavirus still cause can cause severe and occasionally fatal disease. So I don't think this virus is going to evolve to being like rhinoviruses, you know, a, a common cold virus that generally doesn't kill. Mm. Now that the vaccine's been out a while, do you have an opinion of how well it's been working? Remarkably well. I mean, remember, the goal of the vaccine is to prevent serious illness. It's not, it's a, this is a short incubation period, respiratory mucosal infection. So you're not going to prevent mild illness very well anyway. Even if there was only one strain of, of the virus that circulated, you're not going to prevent mild illness for very well. But, you know, that's okay. The goal is to prevent serious illness, keep people out of the hospital, keep them out of the intensive care unit, keep them from dying. And now, you know, about a year and a half into this vaccine, we have the a lot of evidence that uh, that the vaccine is doing exactly that. It's preventing severe illness. It seems almost like we're in this arms race against nature, like the germs get a little better. So we have to make a better vaccine and it's just constantly evolving or you hear, you hear people talking about antibiotics and that makes the germs stronger. What do you think about all that? Well, so these are viruses, which obviously aren't treated with antibiotics. And so but so what you wonder about is whether with uh, vaccination at large scale vaccination, whether you sort of in many ways uh, are selecting for this virus to make variants that resist vaccine induced immunity. And that is, I'm sure, to some extent true. But the good news is, and I think people really need to understand this, even with the current Omicron subvariants like BA5, BA4, there's another one called BA2121, you're still protected against severe disease if you've been fully vaccinated.
So um, that should be reassuring to people. Of course, you're not protected if you're not vaccinated. You know, so that's your choice. I heard that this most recent version of COVID can reinfect easier. Is that true, or is that just something I'm hearing? No, it's true. Because the, the even so, so um, if you were vaccinated, you can still get a mild infection with Omicron. And even if you've gotten a mild infection with Omicron, so-called BA1 strain, you can still then get a mild infection with BA5 or BA4 because they're even more immune evasive. So even through the immunity that you get from just being naturally infected with Omicron doesn't protect you against mild disease from, say, BA5, but you're still protected against severe disease. So that's why it's important to be vaccinated. So could I get COVID and once I recover two weeks later, get COVID again? But that would be fast. Um, typically, what happens is neutralizing antibodies protect against mild illness. So when you have high levels of neutralizing antibodies, which occurs after natural infection or vaccination, it takes a few months for those antibodies to settle down. And uh, then you could be at risk again for uh, mild illness. So, so two, two weeks later is a little fast. Mm. You wrote a book called Autism False Prophets, and I was researching. You wrote a lot of books. But there is this real fear around autism being caused by vaccines. I'm sure you have something to say about this. I mean, so you can understand it from the parents' point of view, right? My child was fine. They got a vaccine. Now they have signs and symptoms of autism. Could the vaccine have caused it? I mean, the good news is that's an answerable question. Um, so you can do the kinds of studies that look at children who either did or didn't get that vaccine. Make sure that you compare those two groups so that they're alike in terms of their medical background socioeconomic background, healthcare seeking behavior, to see whether if getting those who got the vaccine had an increased risk of, of getting autism. That study has been done 17 times in seven different countries on three different continents, probably costing tens of millions of dollars. And the result has always been the same. You're at no greater risk of having autism if you received the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, which is where this originally came from, than if you never got that vaccine. So it's... Um, that question has been asked and it's been answered. And so, and most parents, I think, understand it's been answered. I mean, it, I would say that uh, 20 years ago, if you asked parents the question, do you think vaccines can cause autism? I think uh, parents of children with autism, I think most would say yes, but today 85% say no. So I think most parents now understand that those studies have answered their question. I think sometimes there's a general just mistrust of the medical community. And we were talking earlier about how there can be a lot of money involved, maybe not necessarily in vaccines, but the general sentiment is there's a lot of money to be made in the medical industry. And if you put enough money into a study, you could get whatever answer you want. Well, there's no hiding. I mean, if, if a pharmaceutical company says, hey, look, I can make a lot of money on this vaccine, all I have to do is just misrepresent the science and, and, and did do a study where, in fact, my vaccine didn't work, but I'll just say that it did. I'll just lie. Um, you know, there's systems in place immediately to determine how well vaccines are working. There's systems in place like the Vaccine Safety Data Link to immediately determine whether there's a serious side effect and whether that side effect is occurring more commonly in a vaccinated population. So there is no hiding. There is no advantage to doing that. Um, it would be a foolish thing for a pharmaceutical company to try and do that. Mm. There's also the argument of like, well, if your vaccine works for you, why do I need to get a vaccine? Like if your vaccine works, what difference does it make if I get one? Well, you get one because you want to be protected against the disease. So 
That's why it's important for you to get one if I'm understanding your question correctly. But there was this feeling with COVID of like, okay, everyone needs to get the vaccine, but some people didn't want to get it. And so it's like, well, why does everyone need to get it? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. So, it, I mean, it's a contagious illness. Um, if you get it, um, you have a, the disease, you have a high chance or certainly an increased chance of spreading it to somebody else. I mean, if you, if you cut your foot on a rusty nail and you go to the doctor and the doctor says, I think you should get a tetanus vaccine, you say, I don't want to get a tetanus vaccine. And you get tetanus, no one's going to catch tetanus from you. It's not a contagious disease. This is a contagious disease. So you're protecting not only yourself, but those with whom you come in contact. Also remember, no vaccine is 100% effective. Um, so when you say, look, I think I can, what do you care if I'm vaccinated? You know, you're already protected. No one, no vaccine is 100% effective. And also remember, there are many people in this country who can't be vaccinated. They can't be vaccinated because they're getting immune suppressive therapy for their, um, you know, for their cancers. They can't be vaccinated because they're, um, you know, they're uh, uh, too young in, in the case of some vaccines. So um, you do, if you have any uh, uh, interest in being part of society, then you should act like a member of society. I think COVID really brought to light, like my health is connected to your health and we're all interdependent. And I don't know if we really thought of things like that before COVID. We certainly think of it now. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, the, the horror of many, one of the many horrors of COVID is that this virus can be transmitted asymptomatically. So you may come into contact with someone who has no symptoms, who nonetheless is shedding virus, which can cause you to be infected, including fatally infected. So it made us scared of our neighbors in many ways. I mean, you can see at the beginning in the first year, you know, between say January 2020 and December 2020, what did we have? We didn't have vaccines. We didn't have antivirals. We didn't have monoclonal antibodies. All we had was barrier protection, right? Mask, social distance, isolate, quarantine, test. That's all we had. Um, and that wasn't much. Eventually, we, we have those, had got those other tools. But in the meantime, we were a blank slate waiting to get infected. Yeah, scary time. And it's like, I don't want to accidentally kill my parents or something. Awful time. Do you think COVID is going to be here for the rest of our lifetimes? I think COVID is going to be here for the rest of my lifetime, my children's lifetime, and their children's lifetime. I think this virus is going to be with us for decades. What message do you hope that families, parents watching this walk away with? So I, I, the, the interesting thing for me is what's going to happen in the future, five years from now, 10 years from now. Um, we're, we're, we're already largely past this pandemic. Uh, if you define pandemic as changing the way that you live, work, or play, I think many areas of this country now are basically just going back to normal. I mean, you know, here in the Philadelphia area, um, where I actually um, live, the, the um, you know, you have 20,000 people who go to a Philadelphia 76ers game. Nobody's wearing masks. They're all inside. So it's different than where we were a couple of years ago. Um, so, so I think that's happened. But nonetheless, this virus is going to circulate. And it's a bad virus. I mean, unlike other respiratory viruses, it causes you to make an immune response to your own blood vessels. I mean, the disease we see in children is called MIS-C, this multi-inflammatory uh, uh, systemic disease of children. Um, where, you know, children a month after getting naturally infected um, come back and the virus is, is gone. They're not excreting virus anymore. Well, they're antibody positive, but they don't have virus anymore. But nonetheless, they have high fever, lung disease, liver disease, kidney, kidney disease, heart disease. I mean, they're, 
sick sometimes they go to the icu sometimes they die i mean no virus that i know of does that and so we're going to need to protect people for decades and and who are who do we need to protect the most vulnerable people who are over 70 people who are immune compromised and children um, as well as people who have multiple comorbidities like chronic heart disease or chronic lung disease remember every year three and a half four million children are born into this country who are completely susceptible to this virus we're going to have to find a way to protect them Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. I was excited to talk to you and this was very informative. It was my pleasure, thank you. Thank you, Paul. I know you have a lot going on and a busy schedule, so it meant a lot that you took the time to come and speak with us. This has been the Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I'm your host, Bobby Williams. We'll see you next week. Peace.